um, continue today in a series that I started last week, um, and it, the series title is Stand Your Ground, and uh, the idea behind standing your ground is this idea of refusing to retreat in the face of all opposition. When God gives you a promise, when God gives you a mission, or when you know that you're standing in the truth of what God designs for your life or wants for your life, in your ministry, your home, your, your personal walk. Every one of us are going to be contested along the way in our life. And we have to make a decision at that time whether we're going to stand there. We're gonna, are we going to fight or flight? You know what I mean? Are we going to stay with it? Or are we going to turn and run? And so we're dealing with this idea of standing your ground. God has his own stand your ground law. And the idea behind it is you stay where I put you, you stay where I called you, stand your ground in what you know that is the truth of what I've directed in your life, and I will fight your battle. I will be there. You will, I'm on your side. I'll be your rear guard. I'll be your, I'll be your front guard. I'll be everything you need. But you have to stand there. If you don't stand there... What can, what can God do with that? So we have to stand our ground. And so last week, and I, I want to continue this week with this idea, and we're looking at some of David's mighty men. And we find this in 2 Samuel chapter 23. And uh, last week we looked at a couple of guys. One of them, his name was Adino. And uh, he was a spearsman. There were two of them, in fact. One of, he killed 800 Philistines or 800 enemy in one battle. Another one... Uh, killed another 300 in one battle, and they did it with the spear. And we drew the analogy of how the spear can be representative of the penetrating power of prayer. And so we talked about the idea of like being able to stand our ground in the power of prayer. So we looked at that last week. Today, I want to take a look at at another one of uh, David's mighty men. His name is Eliezer. And I want to talk about how he held his ground with something like this. This is a, a, a dagger-like sword, which is what uh, people in ancient times carried into battle with them for hand-to-hand combat. And uh, so he had, the Bible says, a sword that he took, uh, got a hold of, and uh, God gave him a great victory. I want us to read about this. It's found in... Second uh, Samuel chapter 23, verses 9 and 10. So let's look at these verses together, and uh, let me read them to you. And it says, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo. I love that. That's a great name, the son of Dodo. Dad's my, Dodo's my dad. Uh, after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo, the Ohite, one of the three mighty men with David when he defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel retreated. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. Isn't that interesting? He fought, he stood his ground, everybody else had retreated, and he got weary, he had no backing, 
And, and to the point of sheer exhaustion, he fought off the enemy. He defied their intrusion. Everybody else had fled. He stood there and fought. And God gave him a victory. And it says there that his hand was stuck to the sword. And I've entitled this message today, Get a Grip. I know you've been wanting to say this to somebody, and just turn to them right now and say, you need to get a grip. Go ahead and tell them that. And we're talking, obviously, about this idea of getting a grip on God's Word. Rachel said something in the first service during the transition time that I thought was so really cool. I was, I was sad she didn't say it this service. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. I get to say it. Uh, but she was referring to the Bluetooth, how she didn't understand Bluetooth and how when you turn it on, people can airdrop something to you. And I just thought, man, that, that'll preach all day long. I love that. And I want to encourage us today to turn on our spiritual Bluetooth and let's get some airdrop of truth on the inside of us today. So Father, we thank you for your presence here. And we know, God, that this moment is so important. The worship of your presence, the fellowship of the saints, and the power of your word. These are things we crave. These are things we need. God, drop your word in our heart today to the point that we receive it today. That we don't miss it. We turn our hearts on to receive your word in Jesus' name, and everybody says amen. Now, we know from the Bible that God's word, the Bible, the revelation of God's word, is like a lamp lighting up dark places. It's like water that washes over us and refreshes our heart. It's like a fire that gets in the, inside of you and becomes a purifying force on the inside of you, an impassioned force on the inside of you, like Jeremiah said, his, his word was in me like a fire shut up in my bones. And he said, I just, I just got to get it out, you know, and, that, and the word does that for you. But the Bible also says that God's word is like something like this, a dagger-like sword. Paul said in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, that the word of God or the sword of the spirit is the word of God. The Word of God is like the sword of the Holy Spirit. And also, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says that the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So the sword of God's Word is, in a way, it's both our defensive and offensive weapon. In other words, when I have a a firm grasp of the Word of God in my life, I can defend myself against the deceptive attacks of the enemy that are always trying to come against me, while at the same time, I can have the offensive aspects of knowing the truth and cutting through those lies and cutting through the attempts of the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy in my life and in the lives of those around me. But I have to have the sword of the Spirit in hand. Now, the Word of God is powerful. How many would agree with me there? And it is a powerful thing to have the Word of God. But the Word of God is not 
powerful to those who deny its relevance for their lives. It is not powerful for those who defy the instruction of God's word. It is not powerful to those who just casually disregard God's word as maybe I need it, maybe I don't. It's not that big of a deal. It is a powerful force, but not for those who don't get a grip on it, who don't take hold of it, not just in their hand, but get it in their head and get it in their heart. Because if we don't get a grip on the word of God, we're going to find ourselves oftentimes like these men of Israel that we read about in the face of conflict. We're going to run away in fear and not stand our ground. And we're going to be overcome by the problem and we're going to be overcome by the lies and we're going to find ourselves succeeding or, or ceding our advantage and, and not standing our ground in the truth because we don't have a firm grip on the word of truth in our life. I'll be careful. I'll be careful. I got a firm grip. Amen. And so we need to get this word. I love how Eliezer said that Eliezer stood against all odds without any backing to the point of sheer exhaustion. With that sword stuck in his hand. And God gave him a victory. I love that. I love that word stuck. Everybody say stuck. You ever feel stuck? You need to feel this kind of stuck. This is the kind of stuck you need to feel. That word stuck, the NIV says, translates it this way, his hand froze To the sword. The word stuck is the same word we find in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where when Adam saw Eve, he said, Whoa, man. No. It didn't work in the first service either. When he saw Eve, he said, She is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined or be stuck to her. Come on. I bet you didn't know that's what marriage is. It's when you get stuck. Because that's the way it's supposed to be. Amen. But the word, the very word means to join, to come together to the point that you are one. You are not two separate entities that are kind of hanging out, you are one with each other. That's what Adam said about Eve, that we get stuck together. That's the same word that was here. In other words, uh, Eliezer was one with his sword. He was one with the word of God. He was in the word and the word was in him. He had a grip on the word of God, and he won the battle. It's a one-one situation. You get one with God's word, and you won. Come on now. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? So we need to get stuck in God's word. And I want to talk about this today because we're in the present culture in which we live, and the spiritual conflicts that you and I are facing on a daily basis, not not to mention the the personal and potential areas of compromise. We're going to have to learn how to stand our ground. 
And we can't do it without God's word. And we got to get a hold of it. And so today I want to talk about this, how to get a grip on God's word. To get a grip on God's word, first of all, we, each and every one of us, need to accept its authority in our lives personally. We need to understand that God's word is not just a good book. It is the book. And it is the final authority for my life. I'm not trying to find a place. I'm not trying to read and understand and listen to God's word and try to find a way to make some of that stuff fit into my life. My life should, my life should be submitted to and surrendered to the ultimate authority of God's word. It is his final authority for my life. Paul wrote and he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he said, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing... Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as, but as it is, in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in those who believe. The word of God works, it goes to work in those who believe. And what does it mean to believe the word of God? It means that you receive it, And you welcome it, not as a list of good ideas or potentially good ideas, but as it is, in truth, the Word of God. It is, in truth, God's very Word. It is the final authority of my life. The Word of God, the revealed Scriptures of God, the Logos of God. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Verse 16, he said that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, that means teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Let's just stop right there. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture. All of the Scripture is given by divine inspiration of God. Literally, the, the, the Greek language means it, all Scripture is breathed by God. All that we read, all that we understand about God in the Word of God comes from God. Man wrote it down, but God authored it. It is the living, active Word of God. It is the powerful Word of God. In the Bible, we know that over 4,000 times it says, this is the word of God, the word of God. We see that phrase, the word of God, the word of God, over 4,000 times in all of the scripture. From Jesus, here's what Jesus tells us about the word of God. Jesus tells us that the word of God came from heaven. It came from heaven. It has heavenly origin in it. Jesus said the word of God will endure forever. forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my word. The word of God will go on into eternity forever and ever. Jesus said the word of God is unchangeable. He said not one dotted I or cross T will ever go away from my word. It's settled. It's a done deal. You can't change it. The word of God is like to us as Christians, like our personal and our, it's like our constitution. The only thing is, you can't amend this constitution. You can't change it. 
You can't alter it to fit your time, to fit your life, and to fit your ideology. Come on, can I get a good amen out there? I feel all alone up here. I got a knife. Jesus said that the word of God is God. The word of God is the absolute truth. John chapter 17, verse 17, when he was praying for you and me 2,000 years ago, he said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. It's the absolute truth. It's not up for debate. It's up for discovery, though. And that's what we're talking about today. How many of you ever seen the movie Crocodile Dundee? Do you remember when he's going to get mugged in New York City? I think it was New York City. The guy pulled out this little switchblade. He's like, you call that a knife? This is a knife. And that guy took, takes off running. I thought about that episode because when we don't make the word of God our absolute truth and we come up with other ideas and other thoughts and other Things You know what, our, what that becomes to us? It looks a little bit more like this. <laughs> this is something you go to Walmart or the dollar store and you buy. And from a distance, it may look like something, but when you get up close and personal, which is where you fight your battles, this don't hold up. You call this a knife? This is a knife. And see... There are some things that we make our truth that are not our truth. Like present popular culture right now. And the ideology that's floating through our systems right now. You know, I grew up in an America, and I'm kind of, I'm nearing 60. I grew up in a world where we, we heard preachers talk about that people are saying that truth is relative. In other words... That may be your truth, but that's not my truth. Or if that's your truth, I don't want, that's not my, that's not how I think about it. But today is different. The culture's changing. Now today, it's not you have your truth, I have my truth. Today it's my truth trumps your truth. And if you don't believe in my truth, I'm going to cancel you. But the truth is the word of God, not what the culture is saying. Not what the world around us is saying. Paul said, unspiritual people or people who do not have the Holy Spirit cannot understand spiritual things. And so we are living in a culture that are, they believe that they're putting on us their, their form of morality, but that isn't from God. But God's word is true. That's not a knife. That's this. That's what this is. There's another one. Here, here's another thing that this becomes. It's religious tradition. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you hold to your tradition more than you hold to the word of God. Spiritual tradition, things that you come up with that you think really matter, and then, and then you turn around and superimpose it on other people, and he said, that's a tradition of man. That doesn't come from God. That passes away. My word doesn't pass away. Religious tradition is this. It won't work. You can't stand your ground with it. 
Human understanding is this. Human understanding is this. Like how you understand things. You know, uh, Jeremiah said, in Jeremiah chapter 17, he said that the, the human heart, the human reasoning, is deceitful, is deceitful above all things. You know why we're supposed to be renewed in the spirit of our mind continuously? You know why? Because we are out of our mind. We are wacky people. We tend to believe lies. We gravitate toward popular ideas. We, we move away from things that press our buttons or challenge our, our way of thinking. And so constantly I have to be in the word of God because I need my mind to be renewed into the truth of God and not to my own understanding. Because my own understanding is messed up. Woo. Come on now. Amen. When I'm holding on to those things, that's what I, this is what I get. I'll never be, no wonder people run. It doesn't work. Can't trust your heart either, like in, you know, in, in the sense of like trusting in your feelings, in, in your emotions. Well, I feel this, I feel, I feel this. Well, let me ask you this. What does the word say? How are we doing out there? Adrian Rogers, a great Baptist preacher of years ago, said these words. He said, we can never live with authority until we first get under authority. You want to walk in the authority of God? You've got to submit yourself to the authority of his word. Period. Amen. So, we need to accept its authority. For me, God's word, God's revealed word, that's my authority. Every decision I make, I go through God's word. Every relationship I encounter, I go through God's word. Everything. Secondly, to get a grip on the word of God, we need to assimilate its truth, accept its authority, but assimilate its truth. That word assimilate means to... Take something in and to understand it fully, to absorb it, to incorporate it into your life. If you're going to hear the Word of God, read the Word of God, accept the Word of God, or call it your authority in life, then, then if I'm going to give myself to it, I need it to become a part of who I am. Like when you eat food. You ingest food, and then you digest it, and then it becomes a part of who you are. It becomes a way of your thinking. It becomes how you respond. I'm not just out here listening and observing and saying I like that and I don't like that, but I'm hearing the Word of God. I'm receiving the Word of God. I'm, it's my authority in life, and it becomes a part of who I am. Just as surely as Eliezer was out in that field that day and his hand stuck to the sword, it was, he was one with it. He was, if you would, he had a hold on it, and it had a hold on him. That kind of assimilation. 
Peter talked about this when he said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, as newborn babies desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How many in this room want to grow? Four of us. How many in this room want to grow? You just messed up my point. No, I'm teasing. It's an obvious, isn't it? We do want to grow. Well, he says here, it's in the pure milk of the word. The milk gets in you. It becomes a part of you. And it grows you. Hallelujah. Isn't that good? So how do we assimilate the truth? Let me talk about some practical, just some practical ways to assimilate the truth. First of all, set your soul to listen to it often. Listen to the word of God. Why do we want to listen to it? Because um, Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So when I give myself to the listening and hearing of the word of God and letting God's word fall upon my ears and fall upon my heart and fall into my mind, as I listen to it, the more I give myself to God's word and listen to it, Listen with the heart of understanding, but also listen with your physical ears and let it get into your thinking and let it become a part of you. Listening to God's word begins to develop and to grow in your faith. We want to be stronger people of faith. We want to have greater faith. We want to be more devoted and stick to it and stay with it and have that strong kind of faith. Well, that happens by Availing yourself to hearing the Word of God. So when you hear the Word of God, the Bible says, faith comes by hearing. Hearing activates your faith. But, listen, there's another side to that coin. Your faith in the Word activates the Word. Romans 10, 17 Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But watch this verse of scripture. It's found in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So on the one hand, as I listen to God's word and I hear God's word, it's all about the receiving of it. It's all about the Bluetooth idea. Are you turned on? Come on, are you turned on in the spirit? Because God can, he can airdrop it. He can drop it into your spirit. If you're, if you're on in your spirit, faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of God. But then that faith mixed with it, then when I mix my faith with the word of God, it becomes a part of me. And that's what he's saying there. He said they didn't mix it. The reason why they missed out on what God had for them is they didn't put faith in it when they heard it. So we need to hear it. Now, I, I want to just say something about hearing God's word. I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here. But I just want to say something. You need to be here and to be under the sound of God's word as a rule of thumb. Amen. 
Thank you for those few amen. <laughs> I've talked to people over the course of time who said, yeah, I'm so really, I'm really glad I came to church today. Just woke up and I thought, you know what, I think they'll go to church. And I'm thinking to myself, you mean this isn't on your calendar? <laughs> you, you don't plan to come to church? To hear the word of God, to encounter the presence of God? We live in some really difficult days. And the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're living in days when we really don't need to be haphazard and casual about attending to hearing the word of God. We actually need to put it on our calendar. And if I miss church, then that, that's because of something else that that got in the way, but, but I'm not, I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna turn this thing around. I'm not just gonna, uh, serendipitously decide that church is gonna be on the, my calendar today. Amen. <laughs> I bet you didn't come here thinking you were gonna get that. <laughs> Jesus said, be careful how you hear, which not only means pay attention to when you're hearing things, because that's really important. Because there's another voice from hell that will try to confuse matters. But he said, be careful how you hear, but be careful how you hear. Be careful to make sure that you're putting your place in hearing places. Amen. The second way that we can assimilate God's truth in us is to read it. Everybody say, read it. Read it. Acts chapter 17 verse 11 says that the Berean Christians were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word of God with all readiness and searched the scriptures, how often? Daily. Daily to find out whether these things were so. They were daily readers. They opened up the word daily. They searched out the scriptures Daily, to see if these things, see, we need to have a searching heart on the inside of us. That we're not just reading through the book to read through the book, but we're reading the book so the book will read me. And I want to find out what is the truth. And I want to know what is the truth. And I want to, so that I can live the truth. But I can't get there if I don't read it. Make the Bible a daily part of your reading plan. Do you know that if you and I would just read Six minutes every day out of God's Word. You'll finish the Bible in two years. Did you know that if you will just give 12 minutes every day to God's Word, you'll be done in a year. You'll have gone through it. If you read the Bible two and a half hours a day, you'll be done in a month. That's crazy. On average, we spend two hours on social media every day. Average. This is an average. I know it's not you. It was people in the first service. <laughs> but on average, on average, we spend two hours on social media and four hours a day watching videos. Now, if I were to, if I were to ask you guys, and I, I'm, I'm pretty confident just seeing how wonderful you are, I already know what the answer would be. But if I were to ask you guys, do you believe the Bible is true? Yes. Yeah, 
I, I, would, I would venture that most of you would say, yeah, I believe the Bible's true. Now, if I were to ask you, do you believe the news is true? <laughs> do you know overwhelmingly in the United States of America, the most untrustworthy thing, according to the American mindset, is the news. Why is it then we give more time to the media, to the news, than we do to the scriptures? And let's be honest, on average, we do. You can't stand your ground when that's going on. I mean, that's not a firm grip. I should say it that way. So let's read it. Amen? Which brings me then to another way to assimilate the truth in in your spirit is to meditate on it. Meditate on the Scriptures. Now, um, I forgot who the speaker was that came here a couple months. Bob Sorge, in his book, The Secret Place, I read the other day, happened to just come across it. He said that meditation is to carefully contemplate the scriptures looking for deeper and richer meanings. That's how he defined meditation. This idea of like reading the word of God, not to just get through it, but that the word of God gets on the inside of me. And when I'm reading God's word, there are long spells where I'm reading and I'm like yawning my way through it or I'm, you know, oh, I've read that before, I've seen that before. But then there are those times when something Something maybe happens, or maybe it doesn't. It, you don't feel inspired; you feel offended. Those are the moments. Those are the moments to stop. It's like a stop sign. It's like the Lord gave you a stop sign and said, "Whoa, stop here and dwell on this for a second. Give this a minute. Muse over it. Look at it again. Read it again." Meditate on it. Go deeper. Don't just get through it. Let it get in you. That's meditation. That's what it means to meditate. That, that kind of helps me to understand. Just, it's, that, it's that readiness and that willingness to not just get my six minutes in or my 12 minutes in or my three chapters in or whatever it is that maybe we do or try to do but don't maybe get around to it. I, I don't want to just get through it. I want to get it. And so I want to listen to it, I want to read it, but I have to meditate too. Meditate on it. Slow down, slow your roll. Give it a moment. Let it sink. Let it get on the inside of you. Let it soak in your spirit so your roots can grab the nutrients of the refreshment that's getting in there you may grow thereby. Amen. Isn't that good? So we need to meditate on it. And um, the, the reason why this is so important is that meditation activates revelation. The more time you give, how, how many of you like it when you're reading or hearing or maybe a sermon or you're reading through God and a light comes on? Don't you like it when the light comes on? Well, revelation is activated by meditation. Let me give you an example of this. Remember Mary, the mother of Jesus? Uh, the, 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 uh, Mary who bore Christ. I don't want to say she's like, I don't want you to, Mary is, you know. Anyway, 
<laughs> Mary's just like you and me. Human being. But Mary, Gabriel came to Mary and said, Mary, you're highly favored. God, God has a plan and a purpose for your life. Brought the word of God to her. You're going to bear a son. Here's where meditation kicked in. She struggled with it. What? What are you saying to me? You mean this is going to happen to me? She was musing over the word. She, was, she got stopped by the word, and she heard the word, and this great promise, and a dream dropped in her spirit, but she was struggling with it. And she's like, I don't know how this can happen to me. And he said, well, here's what's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, and you'll conceive, and you'll bring forth this child. And he said, and just to let you know that God's up to something good, your, your cousin, Elizabeth, who could never have children, is already six months pregnant. And then she said, after that meditation, she got, she got the, she thought about it, the revelation came on her. And he said to her, nothing is impossible with God. And then her response to him was, be it unto me according to your word. You know the word there for word is not logos, it's rhema. Meditation brought revelation. That's what revelation is. It's the rhema word of God where God takes his revealed will and purpose out of all of the revealed scripture, that's the logos, and he makes his promise come alive for you in your particular situation. It becomes the rhema. May it be unto me according to your rhema, God. Isn't that good? So we need, to, we need to meditate. We need to stop. We need to pause. When God comes, you remember what Paul said? He said, the word of God is profitable for doctrine, for reproving, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. God will stop us sometimes and say, I got to deal with this. You're like, I don't want to deal with it. He's like, we ain't going forward till we deal with it. And you can suppress this and keep going around this same tree or you can submit to my final authority. Let my word get in you. And things can happen. Praise God. One final way that we can um, assimilate the truth of God's word in us, and that is we can pray it into our life. So you listen to it, you read it, you meditate on it, and then pray it. You know, we have not because we ask not. So when you're coming through God's word and you see something that's out of alignment or something that you really want to take hold of or, you know, you just something just touches your spirit, if you want that to get in you, start asking God to make that get in you. Jesus said in John chapter 15, verses 7 and 8, he said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and that what, that's what makes you be my, my disciples. In other words, if you can pray it, you can produce it. If you will pray the, the word of God into your life, you can begin to see the word of God begin to take root in you and grow out of you. You can be changed. There are things right now that you're thinking to yourself, I'll never get past this. I'll never conquer this. I'll never win this battle. 
And I'm here to tell you that's a lie out of the pit of hell. But you need to accept the word of God as your final authority and then assimilate it into your soul. Amen. Which brings me then to my final way to get a grip on God's word, and that is we need to apply its principles, accept its authority, assimilate its truth, and apply its principles. Application. What good is the word of God if I don't do something with it? I may like that sermon, or I may like what he's saying there, or I may feel all warm and fuzzy when I read certain parts of the Scripture, but what good is it if it doesn't apply? It's not about how many sermons you've heard or how many times you've read through the Bible that matter. What matters is what you do with it. That's what matters. James chapter 1, verses 21 and 22 says, Therefore... Lay aside all filthiness and the overflow of wickedness. Let's stop right there. He's talking to Christians. Therefore, brothers and sisters, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. This can help you if you'll receive it. If you'll make application of it, and he goes on in the next phrase or the next verse, and he says, let's be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Here's where deception happens in people's hearts. When you hear it, but you don't do it, you do your thing. Then you justify why you do your thing. Or to the point we will actually say, well, I think, for me, this is what God wants me to do. And I say, well, let's look at what the Scriptures say. Well, I know what the Scripture says, but that doesn't, that's not for me. Well, the Lord actually said something about this. Well, he must think I'm better, or whatever. That's deception. You're deceiving yourself. Why? Because you're defying the instruction of God's word. So I need to apply it into my life. I have to make application of it. I can't be hearers only. I have to be a doer of the word. So how do I do this? How do I apply the principles? Well, when you're reading through God's Word, I want to just share with you three simple ideas. When you're reading through the Word of God, in order to make application, look for promises to claim for yourself. God's Word is a promise book. It's full of promises. And God wants you to get through His Word, not to do your Christian checkoff list, but He wants you to unpack the Word and to discover, oh, whoa, here's a nugget of truth. Here's a promise God has for me today. This is something that I can have in my life. This is something that I can pray about concerning my life. Look for the promises to stake your claim on. 
I'm thinking of the one scripture found in Acts chapter 16, I think it's verse 31, where uh, Paul said to the Ephesian jailer, he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your whole house shall be saved. And that man got baptized and everyone in his house got baptized. That was the promise. I believe that God has a promise for every one of us. You put your trust in me, and it's my desire not only to save you, but I want to save your home, I want to save your children, I want to save your marriage, I want to save your mom and your dad. These are promises that we can claim. Come on now, can I get a good amen out there? Fake it till you can make it. No. That's a promise. And there are so many promises in God's word. But how am I going to know them? And how am I going to stake my claim in them if I'm not giving myself to them and to this word to receive it? So when you're reading through, make, to make application, look for promises to claim. Also, secondly, look for examples to follow. God's book, God's word was written by over 40 different authors over 1,500 years, yet it is one truth. And it's full of stories. And here's what I love about the stories. The stories of people in their lives. God doesn't hold anything back. I love that. I love that we get the dirty laundry too. I love that the Lord doesn't hide it from us, but that he shows us why. Paul said the reason why God wrote these stories down is so that we have something to learn from. We have some, we, we can look at what happened in their life, how they viewed God, how they rejected God, how they served God, or how they defied God, and see the outcome of their life, and we can learn from them. So that when you're reading God's word, again, you're not just trying to get through it, you want it to get in you. I'm thinking of David. David, the Bible says, had a heart after God. God saw him for who he was. And David loved the Lord, and he would worship God, and he taught the whole nation of Israel how to worship. He's still teaching us how to worship. He loved God. He worshiped God. But David wasn't perfect. He messed up really badly, more than once. And you know what? God doesn't cover it over. He throws it right out there because he says, I don't want you to just see the good side of David and how he was a worshiper. I want you to see the awful side and what not to do. I love that, that, that story, uh, I don't love the story about Bathsheba, but I, there's something interesting about the way that whole story started out. It said in that story that when kings would go off to war, David stayed home. And then he had so much time on his hand and he wasn't doing what he was purposed to do. He's walking around. And he looked around, caught a woman bathing, and he focused in, and he logged in, and he stayed there. And then what was going on there got in his mind, and then he wanted to have her, sent for her. She came, she got pregnant, and then to cover up the pregnancy, he had the husband killed. And then he laid it to rest and tried to bury it and hide it for a year. What happened to this man of God? He didn't. Here's a subtle little principle. Things like this you just discover for yourself when you're reading God's word. Well, the, 
the downward spiral started when kings would go off to war. David didn't. And he got himself in a position where he was vulnerable. And it's little subtle things like that. Stories that God shows you in his word. To learn from those things. What to do and what not to do. You know, in that story, it never did say, and David lusted and looked after her and sinned. Or when he, had, he committed a sin by having her husband murdered. We already know from God's word that adultery is a sin. We already know that murder is a sin. God didn't even say that those things were sin. We already know they were sin. God was just saying, here's what happened. Don't let it happen to you. Amen. But I'm not going to get that, and I'm not going to be able to stand in the evil day if I'm just disregarding God's word and not learning the principles of life. I need to give myself. So there are promises to claim. There are examples to follow. Here's my last idea about applying the truth of God's word to us. There are commands to obey. There are a lot of things in God's word that are not necessarily commanded, but they're great principles to live by. You learn from examples. You learn ideas. Oh, that's not a good idea. I see what happens there. But then there are places in God's word where it's very clear. You do this. You don't do that. And you know what you got to do at that moment? You either do it or you don't do it. You don't have to pray about it. I'm telling you right now, you don't even have to talk to God about it. Well, God, should I love my enemy? You don't even have to pray about that. He's already told you what to do. It's a command. Well, I'm really struggling. You don't know how hard they hurt me, God. You, the, the wound is deep. God knows the wound is deep, but he knows you, you'll never get the victory by making excuses. You just got to do what God said to do. You don't have a choice. I mean, you have a choice, but there's only one right choice. It's to do what God said. Jesus said, why on earth do you call me Lord when you don't do the things I tell you to do? Those are words that came right out of Jesus' mouth. It's no use in you calling me Lord if you're not going to do what I told you to do. God gives us Specific instruction that are not debatable and they're not amendable. Well, I'm, you know what? You don't understand. I probably don't. But God, who superintends all things, he understands. And he knows what's best for us. And that's why he gives parameters. And that's why he gives boundaries. And I don't know for the life of me why, why we, me included in we, press those boundaries and hop those fences to our own demise. And it's so interesting to me how, how brothers and sisters can see it, try to help you to avoid it. But we're so bent on our own will. Listen, I heard a preacher say one time, and I believe it. He said, if you got a will and God's got a will, somebody's will's got to change, and it ain't his. And I believe that. God's not going to alter his will to make you happy. 
He loves you too much to just let you make decisions that ultimately are for your own demise. He's clear. Amen. Everybody okay? Are we ready to stand our ground? Let's get a firm grip on the word of God. Get that dagger-like sword in your hand, in your head, and in your heart. Pick it up every day. Seek understanding. Live out of faith. Make it real. You know, in the book of First Chronicles, it says there that Eliezer fought this battle in the name is Pasdemim, which is translated the Dell of Bloodshed. And scholars believe that that was the very same place that David slew Goliath. That's an interesting little idea there because what that tells me is you may have gotten a victory in that battlefield before, but probably you're going to have to come back around and deal with another battle there because the enemy, it's bloodshed, it's warfare. He's not going to give up. But I love how David slew his giant. He got his victory. I see the picture of Jesus and us, David and Eliezer. Jesus conquered Goliath. And out of that victory, Eliezer came back. When everybody else was running, he stood his ground in David's victory. And he slew his enemy. 2,000 years ago, Jesus slew the enemy and defeated all the power of the devil at the cross. And so now, the devil doesn't quit. He doesn't stop. But we don't fight to get victory. We fight from a place of victory. And we can stand our ground, and we're going to win. When we get the word, we've got to get a hold of the word. Amen. Come on, church. Get a grip. Get a grip on the word. Get a grip on the word. Let's stand together. Can I have the prayer team please come forward? And We love the opportunity to pray for you. If you have a physical need, emotional need, financial need, or just want to draw closer to Jesus, and these, these folks would just love, love to pray for you. And if you want to give your heart to the Lord, maybe you've walked away from Him. Jesus loves you. And you're here today, I think, by design. He wants, he's drawing you to himself. And so, please come and receive prayer if you need that today. Because we all need it at various times in our lives. We all need it. So, Father, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for the truth of your word and the wonder of your grace. Oh, God, you've been so good to us today to, to inhabit our praises. We've, we, we have so felt your presence here today. Thank you, Lord, for, I know that you're always here, but just thank you. I just want to say it like this. Thank you for showing up today. Thank you for coming in the house. And Father, I just pray for every one of us that as we leave and go out into this world, that we would go armed and equipped in the Word of God, the living, powerful, effective Word of God. I pray, God, that we would slay our enemy that we would take out the lies and the attacks of the enemy right and left, to the right of us and to the left of us. God, thank you for your goodness. We receive this truth now in Jesus' name. And everybody says amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great, great day.